It looks like church uh, is over, actually, isn't it? It's, uh, it's 11.50. Anybody want to go home yet? I won't ask that question. Never mind. All right. Hey, let's uh, open up your Bibles, if you have it, to Exodus chapter 34. Exodus 34. We'll get the clock fixed one day. As you're turning to Exodus 34, uh, the title of my message today, it's on your, your sheet here as, you, as it's coming around. Uh, we have a little extra extended handout today. And uh, the, the title of the message is Fasting, a Spiritual Practice with Rich History and Relevance for Today. Fasting, a Spiritual Practice with Rich History and Relevance for Today. The reason we are centering in on this topic today, just a, a one-time um, discussion, a study, sermon on the topic of fasting is because of what you found in your bulletin just, uh, just today and what you've seen earlier in the bulletins and slides in, uh, in previous weeks. It says, Fast and Pray for Our Nation on November 5th from 6.30 to 7.30 at the San Clemente Community Center. Join other South Orange County churches to fast and pray before the election. Fast from sun up to sundown tomorrow, the 5th. Break the fast after the prayer event in the evening at the community center. I'm a part, those, many of you know, I'm a part of a multi-denominational uh, group of Christian ministers. They're called Pastors Together of South Orange County. And we meet monthly for fellowship and prayer. Nothing else. No agenda. No one uh, comes and speaks to us. Uh, it's just pastors. It's just those who are serving in churches, Christian churches, in South Orange County. Uh, particularly from about San Clemente to about Irvine. And we meet monthly for prayer, for fellowship, and to enjoy lunch together. At our, there's usually about 20 to 30 pastors, sometimes more, at any of these given meetings. And at our last meeting, it was remarkable, remarkable, how many of the pastors rose up to speak about their concern for our nation. Their concern for the erosion of righteousness in high places of our country, our state, our county. These men, Baptists and Presbyterians, Evangelicals and Episcopalians, Pentecostals and Lutherans, Calvary Chapel and Methodist ministers, all of them Christian, all of them very, very concerned. And in the course of that discussion, the Lord made it clear by the consensus of the pastors that were there that we should act. And as one accord, we decided to proclaim a day of fasting and prayer for our churches for tomorrow, November 5, from sunrise to sunset, and to break that fast with a mutual gathering of worship and prayer at the San Clemente Community Center at 6.30. In proclaiming a day of fasting and prayer, our group of pastors aligned ourselves with a long and rich history of fasting and prayer in the Bible. The very earliest mention of fasting in the Bible is where you're at right now, in Exodus chapter 34. Take a look down at verse 28. This is an instance in which Moses, receiving the law, receiving the Ten Commandments from God, fasted 
and prayed. Take a look at Exodus 34.28. So he, Moses, was there with the Lord forty days and forty nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water. And he wrote, that is the Lord, he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. Flip over a book, if you would, to Exodus, or excuse me, to Leviticus 23. It's also listed in your outline, but I, I wanted you to also see this from your Bibles themselves. As Moses continued to hear from God and write down God's law, the Jewish community came to learn about God's desire to see them fast. That is, abstain from food. And in most cases of the Old Testament, water as well. To fast, God's desire to see them fast during noteworthy religious observances and holidays. One such observance was the Day of Atonement, also known as Yom Kippur. And was, uh, it was and continues to be the primary Jewish holy day in which fasting is to take place. Take a look at Leviticus 23 beginning in verse 26, we'll say. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Also the tenth day of the seventh month shall be the day of atonement. It shall be a holy convocation for you, and you shall afflict your souls. Code word for fast. Abstain from food. If you look at later on in Isaiah 58, it, it confirms that the words afflict your souls had to do with fasting. He says, and you shall afflict your souls and offer an offering made by fire to the Lord. You shall do no work on that same day, for it is the day of atonement, to make atonement for you before the Lord your God. Day of atonement, a day of reconciliation, a day of forgiveness, a day in which the people's sins would be representatively taken away from them through that observance of the day and through the sacrifices that were to be partaken on that day. Beyond the Day of Atonement fast, the Jewish community of the Old Testament came to recognize some six to nine or so, I, I list on your outline there, six to nine, depending on who you ask, other formalized fasting days during the Jewish calendar. There were six to nine various days in which the Jewish people would fast most of which have very deep roots in the Old Testament, these fasts. They were almost always one day in length. Only twice in the Scripture are we told of a fast of greater duration, that of Moses and that of Jesus, 40 days. A day-long fast would usually begin uh, sunrise to sunset, but on the Day of Atonement and others, other major fasts, they would begin from sunset to the following sunset. There were different types of fasts. And here's where you're going to start taking some notes if you'd like, so grab a pen. There were different types of fasts in the Old Testament. The first kind of fast was a God-ordained fast. A God-ordained fast. And that fast is not unlike what we just read in Leviticus chapter 23. In Leviticus 23 and earlier actually in chapter 16, God says, I want you to fast on this day. And the Jewish people observe that, the Day of Atonement. That's a God-ordained fast. You could also make the case that in Esther, there's a God-ordained fast. Uh, some would dispute that. But there really are not many God-ordained fasts in Scriptures. Instead, many of the fasts 
came to, came to be as a result of the community, those around them who rose up and proclaimed certain days to be days of fasting. And that brings us to the second type of fast. Fasts that are proclaimed by men. Fasts that are proclaimed by men. That's the second type of fast we find in the Old and New Testaments. The first such instance is a fast that might be proclaimed by a king or a national leader. In particular, if you look in 2 Chronicles 20, you see King Jehoshaphat proclaiming a fast. He was concerned for his nation about the things that were happening around them, particularly the issues of war, but also idolatry. And Jehoshaphat proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah that they might seek the Lord. So fast can be proclaimed by kings, by national leaders. But note this, as you turn to the inside of your note sheet, there was even fast proclaimed by pagan kings. You know, uh, we, we don't always think of, of non uh, those who you know, don't follow the Lord proclaiming a religious fast or, or a day in which we, we are to seek the Lord. But this happened in the Old Testament. It happened right here in the book of Jonah. Let's, take a, let's go ahead and read chapter 3, verses 5 through 7. It's right there listed for you. As Jonah preaches to the people of Nineveh, they respond in repentance. And so, so it says, So the people of Nineveh believed God. They proclaimed a fast. They put on sackcloth. That is a, a, a garb that re represents their, their sorrow and penitence. From the greatest to the least in them. Then word came to the king of Nineveh. He arose from his throne. He laid aside his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, sat in ashes. He caused it to be proclaimed and published throughout Nineveh by the decree of the king and his nobles, saying, Let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Do not let them eat or drink water. Think about it. A pagan king who proclaims a fast in his nation. You know, um, I've, uh, there, there are instances in which um, U.S. presidents have proclaimed days of prayer. Days of prayer and fasting if you go back far enough. There have been some presidents who uh, perhaps did not share um, in the Christian faith that you and I share today, and yet still proclaimed such a day. This gives precedent to that here in Jonah. Uh, even when someone who does not know the Lord proclaims a day of prayer, of calling upon the Lord, uh, in this case of also of fasting, uh, we're not to chide it away and say, well, that, that man or that woman does not know the Lord, therefore I won't participate in it. No, instead, maybe it is an opportunity. Uh, maybe the Lord is using that king, that ruler, that president, to effect change in a nation just as he used the king of Nineveh. So fast can be proclaimed by a, a king, even a pagan king, also a religious leader. If you look at the book of Ezra, chapter 8, verse 21, Ezra proclaims a fast for his people. It says, There I proclaimed a fast. Then I proclaimed a fast there at the river of Ahava that we might humble ourselves before our God to seek from Him the right way for us and our little ones and all our possessions. So we fasted and entreated our God for this and He answered our prayer. The interesting thing about that story there is that Ezra is taking people from Babylon back to Jerusalem after exile. They had been in Babylon 70 years, slaves. And Ezra 
and, and, and a group with him come back to Jerusalem. And on their way, he's concerned about the enemies that might be on the road. He's concerned about those who, who might be around them, who might do harm to them. And so what does he do? He calls for a fast. He calls for prayer and fasting right there with the group. The religious leader Ezra calls for this, that they might humble ourselves, seek from him the right way, literally the right way, the right paths to take, that the enemy would not attack them on the road. A third kind of fast, listed on your outline there, a type of fast, is a spontaneous fast. A spontaneous fast. And here we've already mentioned the issue of nations calling a fast. Jehoshaphat spontaneously called a fast. He proclaimed it, but it was spontaneous. It wasn't ordained in Scripture. He called it. He made it occur by his proclamation. We also have communities and groups calling for fasts spontaneously. There are groups of soldiers in Judges and in First and Second Samuel, soldiers, military men, who get together and convene a fast spontaneously so that they might better prepare for war or after potentially a loss in battle. They would pro- proclaim a fast they would come together and seek the Lord again. We have churches, and we'll get to this in just a moment, we have churches and religious leaders in churches who who call for fasts to take place, as we'll see shortly. And we also have the spontaneous fast of a whole list of individuals. I've given them there Moses, David, Ezra, Nehemiah, Daniel, Jesus, Saul, or Paul, Cornelius. I've given them there for you to research on your own. We're not going to go through each one. But it's interesting how spontaneous fasts are called both for nations, for countries, for groups of people, military, church groups, and also for individuals. And so across the spectrum, there is a, there is a wide spectrum of individuals and groups and nations that we see examples of abstaining from food and drink. Now, rightly we'll ask the question, why? Why would they do that? Why would a, why would a, a church, why would a, why would a group of soldiers, why would a nation, why would I as an individual fast? What's the purpose of fasting? I think many of us have kind of an idea of the purpose of fasting, but perhaps we haven't thought through it significantly enough. And so I want to draw our attention now to the purpose of fasting. What is the purpose of fasting? And I've given us five purposes to consider today. The first purpose, and this is overwhelmingly the case in Scripture, the first purpose of fasting is to confess and repent of sin. To confess and to repent of sin. Once again, Uh, the book of Ezra speaks to this issue significantly. Uh, There were a number of fasts in the book of Ezra. And in chapter 9, beginning in verse 5, we read this, At the evening sacrifice, I, Ezra, arose from my fasting, and having torn my garments and my robe, I fell on my knees, spread out my hands to the Lord my God, and I said, O my God, I am too ashamed and humiliated, to lift up my face to You, my God. For our iniquities have risen higher than our heads, and our guilt has grown up to the heavens. 
Ezra was speaking on behalf of his people, the Jews who had returned from Babylon. And already as they had entered the nation, already as they had entered back into Jerusalem and life there, they had done things that had transgressed the Lord. Particularly, they had intermarried with those who did not know the Lord. And under the Old Testament law, that was forbidden. And so Ezra rises up, and on behalf of the community, he begins to confess and repent of sin. Not only his own, but the sin of the community. A little bit later on in Daniel, we read there that Daniel himself spoke words of confession on behalf of the Jews to whom he ministered. It says, Then I set my face toward the Lord God to make requests by prayer and supplications with fasting, sackcloth, and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord my God, and I made confession. And were you to read the rest of chapter 9, it's a fantastic uh, list, uh, uh, expression, open and honest, raw and genuine, in which Daniel is confessing the sins of his people, going before the Lord and saying, please help us, please forgive us. We have done awful things, Lord, and we seek your forgiveness. Great leaders speaking on behalf of their people. A second purpose of fasting is to remember and mourn a tragedy. To remember and mourn a tragedy. In 2 Samuel chapter 1, uh, David, uh, was, was, David was dealing with the loss of King Saul and Jonathan, his friend. They had just been slaughtered in battle and David was distraught and his men with him. And in 2 Samuel chapter 1, it says, Therefore David took hold of his clothes and tore them. And so did all the men who were with him. And they mourned and they wept and they fasted until evening for Saul and for Jonathan his son, for the people of the Lord and for the house of Israel, because they had fallen by the sword. And keep in mind here, this was King Saul, who more often than not was quite wicked. King Saul of the Old Testament was not looked upon as a very righteous man. In fact, more often than not, he was found doing the exact opposite of what God had asked him to do. And yet, despite his wickedness, despite King Saul's unrighteousness, David tears his clothes, weeps, mourns, fasts, with sackcloth and sitting in ashes, decrying the tragedy that had befallen him and all of Israel that Saul, their king, had died. That Jonathan, David's friend, had died with him. And so, even, uh, this is really good good precedent here for us to remember that even when our, our local and state and national leaders maybe lead in such a way in which we find uh, difficult, in which we find sometimes at odds with the Word of God, yet still, any time that... Uh, that they are are harmed, or any time that something tragic happens to a leader of ours, we as a nation should rise up and and mourn that tragedy. We should rise up and with one accord go before the Lord, thanking Him for uh, for those who have led us, for those who have guided us, because God expects us to show respect and honor to our leaders. This is a great example of that from David. 
Also in Esther 4 and Esther 9, we find, we find in there an instance of mourning a tragedy. We won't get into details, but you can look upon it on your own. A third purpose. A third purpose. Why do I fast? I fast, number three, to humbly petition God for help. To humbly petition God for help. This is the idea of asking God for protection, for guidance, to be with us, to walk with us. And I gave again the example in Ezra 8, where Ezra calls upon the Lord, and his community calls upon the Lord through prayer and fasting. He says, guide us, literally guide us on the right path to take. Show us where you want us to go, Lord. This is to humbly petition God, to ask Him for good things, to ask Him for blessing, to seek Him for righteousness. A fourth purpose. Why do we fast? We fast to prepare for the work of the ministry. To prepare for the work of the ministry. In Acts chapter 13, really toward some of the earlier parts of Paul's ministry, uh, we find him and Barnabas fasting and praying. Take a look at Acts 13, verse 2. It says, as, let's jump back to verse 1. Now in the church at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers. And then he goes on to list these, these individuals. Barnabas, Simeon, Lucius, Menanian, uh, Menaean, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch and Saul. And as they ministered, verse 2, to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, Now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I've called them. Then having fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them and sent them away. At the early part of Saul's ministry, in an environment, in an environment in which prayer was taking place, fasting was taking place, leaders, prophets, teachers were gathered in the community, laying hands and praying, fasting, abstaining from food and drink, calling upon the Lord. In that environment, the Holy Spirit spoke. God moves, friends, when we enter into the spiritual disciplines that He's called us to enter into. Prayer, fasting, the laying on of hands. Here's an explicit example of that. God moves. He acts. We see His handiwork, especially in moments when we choose to act. And so it could be as simple as beginning a, a, a prayer for a school to raise funds 48 hours ago. And they raised three times what they expected. And here in Acts 13, it began with, with prayer, with fasting, with laying on of hands. And the Holy Spirit prompted the hearts of those in that environment to set aside Paul, to set aside Barnabas for a special work of the ministry. If you also read later on in the next chapter, you find those same two, Paul and Barnabas, appointing elders in every city, praying, fasting, commending them to the Lord. And so prayer and fasting is not just, not just for the purpose uh, uh, of preparing for the work of the ministry, it's also for the purpose of selecting those who will do the work of the ministry. Who's going to serve in God's kingdom? Who are going to be the leaders? Who are going to be the teachers? 
Who are going to be the ones that, that administrate great efforts in the church for a mission organization? Might those decisions be better served, not just through prayer, but through fasting, as exemplified here in Acts? A fifth and final purpose of fasting is to appropriate God's power. To appropriate, excuse me, God's healing power. To appropriate God's healing power. In Mark 9, we have a great story, one of my all-time favorites. I think I've preached on it a couple times. In which Jesus is, is having a moment with Peter, James, and John up on the mountain. And down below, the disciples, the rest of the disciples, the, the other nine, are there trying to deal with, with a boy who was suffering from kind of an epileptic condition. It was noted that he had a demon in him. And the disciples are doing everything they can. They're praying and they're, and they're calling upon the Lord and they're laying hands on the man, on the young boy. And yet still, the boy is not healed. And finally, Jesus comes down the mountain and he enters the scene. And he reaches down upon the petition of the boy's father. He reaches down, he touches the boy, and he heals the boy. And the disciples come up to him later and say, Jesus, how come we couldn't heal him? You've given us the power to heal. How come we couldn't do it this time? And Jesus says in chapter 9 of Mark, verse 28, when he had come into the house, his disciples asked him privately, why could we not cast it out? And so Jesus said to them, this kind, that is to say this kind of demon, can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. This kind can come out by nothing but prayer and fasting. Here Jesus makes indelibly clear that appropriating God's power, that if we are to appropriate God's power, fasting is an important element in that appropriation. It's not just that we, that we are a community that prays. It's not just that we're a community that lifts up holy hands and praises our Lord. It's not just that we're a community that lays hands on those and commissions them, but that we would be a community that fasts. That God would bestow upon us in a special appropriation of His power, of His work. Now, we've gone through those five purposes. Let's, let's, uh, let's see them again. Number one, the first purpose to confess and repent of sin. That's the overwhelming first purpose. The second purpose, to remember and mourn a tragedy. A third, to humbly petition God for help. Fourth, to prepare for the work of the ministry. And five, to appropriate God's healing power. But there are some warnings about fasting, and I want to come to those now. What are some warnings that the Scriptures give us about fasting, about this, this discipline, this spiritual exercise? Is anyone to enter into this spiritual discipline? The answer is no. Um, based on not only, uh, I think, uh, just common sense, but also based on a whole litany of writings uh, in Old Testament times, uh, Jewish commentaries on the Scriptures by the early rabbis who would read the Scriptures and then take, uh, make additional comments and notes as to how to explain and, and, and interpret the Scriptures. We might understand that as a modern-day commentary. Uh, the Targum, the Midrash, Tom spoke of it in his message last week. And the, in, in, among the Jewish rabbis of the day, of Jesus' day, both uh, prior and after, it was common and wise teaching that if a person is to participate in a fast, 
they should be developmentally ready to do so. It's just common sense. The scriptures don't attest to it. I will grant you that. But I think the scriptures don't attest to that simply because it's self-evident. That if, if we, as a person, as an individual, are to participate in a fast, we must be developmentally ready to do so. And therefore, you find in ancient Jewish commentaries natural exceptions given for children, for the elderly, for pregnant or nursing mothers, for those who were sick or infirmed, that fasting is not to be undertaken by those whose bodies are not capable of handling its effects. And I want to make that very clear. As we um, proclaim a fast for tomorrow, we're not asking uh, young children, we're not asking uh, the, the elderly, we're not asking those who are sick or who perhaps have health conditions that would preclude them from fasting. That's not at all the case. But beyond health warnings, there are even greater warnings in the Bible about fasting that pertains to the heart of the one who is entering into it. On the back of your outline now, besides health exceptions, the first thing we must avoid is to avoid the tendency to just go through the motions of fasting. Avoid the tendency of just going through the motions of fasting. Fasting is not to be taken lightly. We aren't to practice it out of obligation or dull routine. There were, of course, prescribed God-ordained fasts in the Old Testament. But God still expected His people to perform those fasts not out of duty, but out of a heart that was ever attentive to the purposes of that fast. After the Jews returned from Babylon and rebuilt the temple in Jerusalem, the people came to God and they were inquiring of Him. They were, they were asking Him, saying, Lord, do we need to, to continue the fasts that we did in the past that recognized our, our slavery in Babylon? They, they were there 70 years, and as they left and came back to Jerusalem, in the prophet Zechariah, in the book of Zechariah, it's mentioned that the Israelites asked the Lord, do we still need to fast like we did back then? Is it still appropriate for us to fast and mourn our, our national tragedy? And this is how, this is the question in particular that they asked. Notice on your outline, Zechariah 7, verse 3. Should I weep, Lord, in the fifth month? And should I fast as I've done for so many years in Babylon? Verse 4, Then the word of the Lord of hosts came to me, saying, that is Zechariah, saying to the people, Say to all the people of the land, When you fasted and mourned in the fifth and in the seventh months, during those 70 years of exile, did you really fast for me? For me? The Lord here is calling into question the sincerity of the fast. The sincerity of the people. In essence, the Lord is saying, look, if you need to ask me, if you need to ask me if you should fast or not, then clearly your heart is not in it. For if all you're doing is checking off a formalized fast day on the calendar, then you're not doing them for me, but only out of duty and obligation. You see, a fast is to be a day of centering on the Lord, not on duty and obligation. It is to be a day in which we say we will center this day, especially on the Lord. 
And when we feel the pains of hunger on this day, it is to be a reminder in the words of Christ that man is not to live by bread alone, but on every mouth that proceeds from the mouth of God. But on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Yet so often the fasts of Isaiah's generations and and, and Zechariah's generations and many like them were accompanied not by a centering on God, but by an exploitation of others. Notice Isaiah 58. In fact, God God says to the people, He's chastising them, He's disciplining them. He says, in fact, in the day of your fast, you find pleasure and exploit all your laborers. Indeed, you fast for strife and for debate and to strike with the fist of wickedness. Here Isaiah, speaking 200 years prior than Zechariah, is speaking about a generation of people who would formally complete the fasts. But when it came to their relationship, maybe with those working with them or for them, they would be very harsh on the very day of their fast. Let me put that in modern terms. Alright? Because uh, we don't have days of formalized fasting in our, in our Christian tradition. But in modern terms, that would be like a father getting up every Sunday dutifully and driving his family to church as he ought to. And yet, all the while in the morning and all the while in the afternoon, he's fighting, he's bickering, he's in strife and disputes with his wife and and kids. That's the modern-day illustration of what Isaiah is speaking about. He says, on a day in which you're to be centered on the Lord... You come out of duty, and all the morning, and all the afternoon long, save the time that you're fasting alone, you're in disputes and arguments and strife, and nothing's changed? Really? Why are you bothering with fasting? God would say. Why are you bothering with these religious exercises? Why do you bother coming on Sunday if your heart is not changing, if your heart is far from me as you practice your faith. To that hypocritical generation, the Lord says through Jeremiah, notice Jeremiah 14.12, when those people fast, I will not hear their cry. And when they offer burnt offerings and grain offerings, I will not accept them, but I will consume them by the sword, by the famine, by the pestilence. And so a few words of caution about fasting on your outline. Fasting is not about frequency. It's not about frequency. There in Luke, it speaks of a man who says, I fast twice a week! And yet the Lord has no place for that man who simply goes through the motions. It's not about frequency. And fasting is not about feigning piety. It's not about pretending to be holy. not about feigning piety. In Matthew 6, Jesus says, Moreover, when you fast, don't be like hypocrites with a sad countenance. They disfigure their faces that they may appear to, be, to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. You're not to be pretentious about it. You're not to announce to everyone, I'm fasting. I'm fasting. Look at me. Look at my holiness. Instead, fasting is to be focused on God and on what He would have us do. Fasting is to be focused on God and on what He would have us do. 
Should we fast? And if so, when? I think the examples of Scripture, the litany of examples, there are some 50 instances of fasting in the Scriptures. Over a hundred times, the, the, the word fast or fasting or having fasted or ate no bread is alluded to in the Scriptures, both in the Old and the New Testament. Having seen a litany of examples, I think the obvious answer is yes, we should fast. Of course we should fast. I think it's something that we rarely do as a community. That's unfortunate because it's a spiritual discipline that's riddled throughout Scripture. So we need to rectify that. If we're, we may be uh, emphasizing prayer, we might be laying on hands, we, we, we may be exercising other spiritual disciplines, but we're, we're not exercising fasting, we're missing a whole segment of Scripture. So of course the answer is yes. And so the, the next question is, when should we fast? Well, a few answers rapidly here. When we find ourselves in serious sin and unrighteousness. That's an obvious time to fast. When we find ourselves in serious sin and unrighteousness. That's the example of Scripture time and again. A second reason to fast. When we experience a great personal tragedy. You know, not just individually, but as a nation. Israel, the Israelites set up fasts in their community because of Babylon, because of what they experienced there. And the Lord honored those fasts. He recognized those fasts. Zechariah 8 mentions fasts that God didn't ordain, that the people recognize. And God said, yeah, those are good. Those are good. Those national fasts are good. And so when we recognize, you know, Pearl Harbor, when we recognize 9-11, and now, I mean, for me, and I know for many, for all of us, 9-11 now takes on new meaning, given this year's 9-11, and the, and the, the murder of our ambassador, and, and three other uh, heroes of our nation. When we see these tragedies as a nation, we should rise up and remember, pray, and fast on the day is especially appropriate. When we experience personal tragedy, we should fast. Three, when we especially need God's guidance, direction, or healing, we should fast. You know, we saw this in a national level, Jehoshaphat, even pagan kings, king of Nineveh. We saw this on an individual level. You know, there's a litany of individuals in Scripture who fasted. But what about in the group level? I mean, businessmen and women, consider fasting before a major decision in your company. Families, consider fasting before you make a, a large decision, maybe a, to, to purchase a home or maybe a, a car or, or some other significant life decision. Pray, yes, consider fasting too. Schools, what, what better opportunity than to you know, rally Christian students in your schools to, to fast and to pray for their classes. To ask God to bless them. So God's, uh, th this discipline here extends far beyond the church, far beyond nations. It extends to individual groups, businesses, families, schools. Many examples in which we could call upon the Lord. Soldiers in the Old Testament got together to fast. We have many Marines here. What might that look like? 
Number four, when we're preparing to select leaders or commission great ministry efforts, we should fast. When we're preparing to select leaders or commission great ministry efforts, we should fast. And fifth and finally, we should fast when our leaders, whether they be national or local, like, like a local church, we should fast when our leaders have proclaimed a fast. Period. Tomorrow, a large group of pastors and churches have come together to proclaim a fast. A day of fasting and prayer from sunrise to sunset. And to break that fast with a gathering of worship and prayer in San Clemente at the community center. These proclamations are rare. And they are unique. But they are also in keeping with days of old when God's people would gather to call upon Him to forgive, heal, and guide the nation. I would venture to say that as you read the Scriptures, the state of the nation of Israel at a time in which fasts were proclaimed is not unlike the state of this nation at a time such as this. Unrighteousness, idolatry, lewd acts seem to be characterizing our nation much more so than holiness does. I'm often, we're often asking the question, are you better off than you were four years ago? I was meditating on the question a few days ago, are we holier than we were four years ago as a nation? Are we holier? Are we more in line with the Lord? And if we're not, then we should pray and fast. It was appropriate then, and so it's especially appropriate now. You should fast tomorrow. I'm exhorting you to consider fasting. Those of you who are able to fast, you should. Because church leaders have risen up and proclaimed a fast. And if you're able to, you should come tomorrow to break the fast at the community center. As Paul says, you should partake in prayer with men everywhere, lifting up holy hands, fasting and praying for our nation and its future. May we not do it out of obligation, not out of duty, but out of a humble heart, confessing our sins, petitioning God for blessing and guidance. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, Lord, You've made it quite clear in Your Word that fasting, while never as frequent as perhaps the discipline of prayer, is yet still something that's very near and dear to your heart. You ordained fasts in the Old Testament. You confirmed the proclamations of men who rose up to proclaim fasts. And now, God, we believe that you've made a statement in our community. You're making a statement in our nation that perhaps tomorrow is an especially appropriate day for us to rise up in prayer and in fasting for the future of our nation. As we do, Lord, we will confess our sins to You tomorrow. We know we've all taken part in what our nation is today. 
but we will also humbly seek your guidance, your blessing, your direction, and your healing. So Lord, I pray that you would uh, rise up in us a spirit of dependence and humility upon you, that those who are able would abstain from food, maybe even from drink tomorrow, and that as they do and as the hunger pains begin, that it, with each uh, reminder of the withdrawal from food and drink, that we would also lift up prayers to you for our nation, for its future. In Jesus' name we pray these things. Amen.